So welcome, Daniel. I'll just pray for you before you start. Lord God, we thank you for this man, this man of faith. And he's, uh, he's got so much to tell, but we pray that through your Holy Spirit that that will be so this morning. Hearts will be open, ears will listen, and, uh, and eyes will be attuned to you so that we can see that uh, through this man that you are speaking to us. Lord, bless him this morning and give him the words to say in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much. It's one of those situations where um, if we were back in the olden days in paperwork, um, I would probably literally grab the paper and throw it to the side. Um, it's amazing that we're in God's presence and He is so obvious that He's here with us. And um, it's just flattering that I get the opportunity to be up here now. Um, so my name's Daniel and um, I hail from Rockhampton um, at the moment in limbo. Um, is probably the word for it. We are heading down to Bundaberg um, in the new year. So um, a few changes for us. Um, but it means a little bit less travel for us as well. Um, we have a family of three, so um, they might get to see Daddy a little bit more, um, which will be nice for us as a family to do that. But we're um, really believing that God's got some great things in store for Queensland next year in the youth and children's sections, and we're really excited that we get to be a part of it. Well, this morning, um, you can see the word behind me, which is life, if I haven't blocked it for you. Um, with this, but the word life, and that's what the theme um, that we've used as the Salvation Army this year f as a territory from New South Wales, Queensland, um, across all of our youth events and our children's events uh, based around life. And um, for Andrew and myself personally, we really felt God leading us to a theme of battle or battlefield. We really felt that that was something that for the Central North in particular, which is the area we look after, um, that that was something that was prominent, that that was um, really God's guiding, that we needed to tap into the battlefield. So this morning, um, I want to speak about life is a battlefield. Life is a battlefield. We face so many battles in our everyday life. What do we have for breakfast? What clothes am I going to wear today? Maybe it's, what am I going to have for lunch? If I go to Macca's, when am I going to get a burger? Am I going to get a wrap or do I get my nuggets? We have some small choices, some small battles that we face, but there's still battles in our life. But we've also got some really big ones that we face as well. There's massive battles that we face day in, day out. And for kids at school, there's massive battles that they face. The pressure to aspire to something, that maybe the pressures from home or the pressures from the other kids at school. In our workplace, we want to strive to be the best that we can and to the best that we can so that we can either move up a ladder or that we can be an example to other people. There's so many battles that we have to face. Maybe it's trying to find the right job and making sure that we've been guided to that right position. But we all seem to identify the big battles in life so much easier than the small ones. Now, I talked about the fact that breakfast, what clothes we're going to wear, but they're battles that we do face. But we seem to identify the larger ones so much easier than we do the smaller ones. Maybe for um, people at school at the moment, the uni students who are finishing up or just finished, it was those exams that came up for them. It was that pressure and that battle of, you know, have I done enough study to get it done? Is that assignment right? Have I put enough time and effort into this? We can relate that also into our working lives. But we tend to want to talk about it a lot more openly than our smaller battles. Our larger battles, we'll talk to our friends and go, man, I've got this exam coming up on Friday. I'm really stressed about it. How am I going to get through it? I hope I've done the right study. What are you studying? There's so much conversation around the battle that we're facing or that scenario that's coming up. 
When somebody goes missing, when somebody is, we haven't seen them for a while, we tend to notice it. After a week or two, maybe a month or so, gee, I haven't seen Billy for a while. I wonder where he's been. That concern comes about. We really want to tap into where they are, what they're doing. We try and get in contact with them, talk to other people about where possibly they've gone. Well, in the Bible, in the book of Joshua, I'm not going to use particular references just yet. I'll come to that a little bit later. But in the whole book of Joshua, there's a massive battle going on. There's this massive battle going on. And the children um, of Israel, they're going through a battle this time. Forty years, children of Israel have been in the desert. They've been in the wilderness. God has promised them this great land. And they haven't got to it yet. For 40 years, I'm not even 40 years old yet, unless you ask the youth who told me yesterday and throughout the last few days that I'm about 45. Um, you know, this is, this is my whole life and more that these people have been in the wilderness when they know that the talk around them is that we're going to the promised land. You know, the big picture is we're going to the promised land, but the battle at the moment is we haven't made it. We haven't got there yet. And then the shock to their faces when they do make it into what this promised land is, and there's giant walls standing in their way. That must have been a slap in the face for them to see these giant walls to go, what are we going to do now? This is our promised land beyond these borders, beyond these walls, is the promised land that God has given to us. But how are we going to get through them? So what do they do? The Israelites, they pray, they talk to God, and they say to him, God, how are we going to get through this? How are we going to get through these walls, Lord? It's, it's, it's fortified. There's no way. The one thing I think of when I think of this story from the Bible is um, the, uh, the Telstra ad. Dad, why did they build the Great Wall of China? Just to keep the rabbits out. Have you seen that ad? Yeah, it's an old one now. I might be showing my age a little bit with that one. Just to keep the rabbits out. But for the Israelite army, they're going, well, how are we going to get through this Great Wall? We're going to pray to God. We're going to seek counsel from God about what to do and what is his instructions. Then in Joshua 6, 2 to 5, the Lord says to Joshua, March around the city once a day for six days. And then on the seventh day, we're going to march around it seven times. And at the end of it, the priests are going to blast some trumpets and make a heap of noise. I probably ad-libbed a lot there. But that gives you an idea from Joshua 6, 2 to 5 what's happening. Now, if I'm in the army and my commander comes to me and says, we're going to march around once a day for six days and then seven times on the seventh day, I'm going to go, what the? Why would we do that? It makes no sense to me, but my commander's told me to do it. All right, you've told me, you've commanded me to do it. Let's face this battle together. Not all battles mean that we're going to discuss it or seek God's wisdom in it. I'm going to come back to the wall shortly. But we also face smaller battles that we think that we can handle on our own. I don't need to bring God into this smaller battle, these smaller decisions in my life. He's way too busy for that. He's got millions of other people that he can sort out their bigger battles. I don't need to consult him for my small battle. So not to throw any spoilers in, but if you read on in Joshua, the marching army, the Israelites won that battle. The walls disintegrated because they consulted God. They sought his guidance in that battle that they had to face. But that very same army, not long after, 
that were defeating, able to de- defeat and knock down these walls that were stopping them in their path. They went to a town called Ai. Small town, not a lot of people there. The army was really small. So the Israelites went, I'm not going to send a big army. Probably only need a handful of guys. Let's take this um, town of the city of Ai out. It's going to be an easy one. It's a pushover. I'm not sure how your schooling went, but I know for me I had some um, times and situations in school which I'm not proud of and won't look back on, but I would tend to pick on the small kid in school a lot. Especially in primary school, I sort of wanted to be the cool kid and, and wanted to get along with the cool kids. And so what we had to do was pick on the small kid in the class or the one in the playground. And that was the one we chased around. It wasn't something I was proud of, but it was something I did. But one thing I learned from that is that the small people fight back. They stand up for themselves. Yeah. Sometimes it's not in the most appropriate ways. They may learn to fight dirty, but they learn to defend themselves. And we see that from the city of Ai. God's army got pushed back. They retreated and got defeated by the city of Ai. Because in the time and the celebration of taking down these giant walls and thinking that they were um, completely protected by God, they had forgotten to consult Him. They left God out of the picture. And they started doing things for themselves and thought, I can take a small city out because we've just taken this giant walls down and taken over this city. In Joshua 8, the Israelite army consults God again. They recognize what they've done wrong and they consult God again in this small battle against the city of Ai. They did not give up. They didn't turn and run away. They recognized their faults. They realized that in the small battles, we've got to step up, but we've got to consult God even in these small situations. They came prepared. God wants us to get back into the battle and fight for Him. But He wants us to include Him in our big and our small battles of life. This is going to allow us to defeat even the smallest of forces like the Israelite army did in the city of Ai. Sometimes what we believe can be our biggest enemy. I've got a few random irrelevant facts, possibly. Some of them may linger in. And did you know that a cockroach can live for nine days without its head? Cockroaches can live for nine days without their heads. Basically, they, after nine days, they starve themselves. You can't cry in space. There's no gravity up there, so you can't cry. The inventor of the light bulb, Thomas Edison, was afraid of the dark. Probably a really good reason why he created that. And for all the basketball gurus, Michael Jordan was cut from his high school basketball team. Went on to be the greatest or one of the greatest. Depends who you talk to, I suppose. And that leads into my next part. All right. I want you to put your thinking hats on, your imagination caps. We're going to have a little bit of a story here. In your final seconds of a basketball match, you need two points to win. You've struggled all quarter to get that winning basket through. Their defense has been outstanding of the opposition. You can't break them. You can't get through the line. The coach calls a timeout. There's only seconds remaining. He's got a strategy. 
wants to try something new. He sends three guys back out. I believe there's five on a court. Is that correct? So we've got three against five. Interesting scenario. For the opposition, they don't know what to do. We haven't trained for this. We've never trained three on five. Not in a competition sense. What are we going to do? Are they allowed to do that? Is this, is this in the rules? Can they bring three guys out with only a few seconds remaining? Isn't that a disadvantage to them? They can't do that. By the time they've finished arguing and trying to sort it out with each other, the team of three who are play week in, week out as a group of guys at the basketball court at the um, back of the house, they've gone and scored a three-pointer, two-pointer, whatever it might be. The defence was shocked. They got so consumed in what they were new of a week-in, week-out game plan and that it was five-on-five or this is just how it's always happened, that they weren't able to adapt to something different that was thrown in on the court. Now, I don't know if that's actually ever happened, but if somebody coaches basketball and wants to try it, let me know how it works. It'd be interesting to find out whether that actually comes about that way. But why did I give you a a random, irrelevant story like that, you might think? Because this is a real story that happens in the Bible. In Judges 7 through to 8, 21, Gideon and the Israelites had been stopped from doing anything all quarter. The defense of the Midianites was way too strong. They couldn't be penetrated. Then God spoke to Gideon and told him to lead an attack on the Midianites. But we're going to use a tactical play, says God to Gideon. What are our figures? What are we looking at? Gideon says, the Midianites have got about 135,000 people. We're on their turf. They've got the grandstands packed. There's overflow in the courts outside. This is a big game we're playing for. They've got probably one of the best defensive teams in the game. And they've got their star players on the court. All right, says God, what have we got? Well, we've got around maybe 22,000 people here. It's a handful in the crowd. We've got some, some of our good players out there. I think, we, I think we'll be right, God. I think we've got this one. God says, all right, send an SMS, put it on Facebook to all of our fans. We need just to leave. We don't want you here. Head home. Don't want you to hang around. Okay? Of that 32,000 that were there supporting, 22,000 went home. God then says to Gideon, all right, I want you to grab everybody in your team that's sitting there with a water bottle in their hand or eating a hot dog or has an ice block, tell them to go home. Okay, says Gideon to God, that's what you're instructing me to do. You're, you're You're the big coach, all right. Tactical play, yep, tactical play. All right, let's 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 see where we're going with this. All right, how many does that leave us, God says to Gideon? 300. We've got about 300 left here to support us. And what are we up against? 135,000. Yeah. I see this is going to work. This is going to happen. God's feeling confident. Gideon, not so much. Does he have a chance in the world? Gideon was focusing on what he was taught 
or what he had done before. Sometimes we too can get caught up in what we know as the normal rules. How were we taught to deal with issues when we were confronted by them? Maybe it's how we've seen it done by somebody else. We get so distracted and clouded in our decisions that they become our worst enemy. We need to be like Gideon and stay close to God. He's God, the best coach in the world. If you don't believe me, read your Bible. Gideon says, okay, have it your way. Gideon's belief in God overcame any mindset that would have said that this is a ridiculous plan. It's going to be impossible. What we see, know and believe is irrelevant when God is on our side, coaching us and giving us the perfect plan to execute. We just need to keep our minds clear that God is bigger than any battle or the size of the enemy that we face. Every battle has a victor. Which side are you on? I like to cause a bit of riot, so I'm going to throw it out there to any of the sports people that um, I believe rugby league is the best game in the world, and it's God's game. Careful where I'm going with this. So where I'm going with this, a rugby league team has 13 players on the field. If you include the um, trainers, yes, sometimes 14. But they have 13 players on the field. And of those 13 players, there's always that one player that nobody likes. Nobody likes that one player. He's just that interesting one that nobody seems to like. And then there's also that one player that just seems to be floating on a cloud and can never do anything wrong and is always just the perfect person. We have our people in mind. I'll leave that up to you guys to debate whether you think that's a true fact or not. But we know that in every sport, in reality TV shows, maybe it's um, a war that takes place, there is usually a victor, somebody who comes out on top. We've looked at just some of the battles that are faced in the Bible. Now, the reason why I brought up the rugby league thing is because I look at that, and for me, as a visual person and a bit of a sporting person, I love to watch it, I see that as Jesus and the disciples. He is one guy that was with 12 others to train together. They went through blood, sweat, and tears together. They taught each other things. They developed each other, but they pushed each other along as well. When times got tough, when things were hard, they picked each other up and let's keep going. But they had the greatest coach in the world, in God, that was teaching them where they went. There are many more stories and battles that you can read in the Bible. But there's one key factor in each of them was the relationship with God at that point of battle. If we include God in our battles, whether they're big or small, a victory is imminent. If we don't include God in it, it's going to be a struggle. The victory will come when we allow Him to come back into our lives. In this battle of life, God wants us to be like His Son, Jesus, and not do it alone. Jesus found 12 other people that He could face His battles with people to talk with him, ask questions about life in general. But Jesus wanted to be an example to the disciples. And when he could see things getting hard for them, he would encourage them to pray 
and to seek God's guidance. He would challenge them to learn more so they could be better equipped to face life's battles. God wants us to have a place in our hearts and to have God ever-present in our minds so that he can use us to be an example to those we come in contact with. 1 John 5, 4-5 instructs us well with who we should ask to be on our side. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has come, that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus gave his life so that we could hear what was required to spending time praying with God. Getting God on side in the big and the little battles and to give us something to believe in. Not all battles at Israel and God's people fought ended in victory. It was only when they obeyed the Lord and trusted in God did they emerge victorious. God wants us to live victorious Christian lives, but for us to win our daily battles, we need to follow the one who leads us.